0: wonderful time of worship this has been already. And now we get to go to scripture. Uh, This Sunday as has been mentioned is Transfiguration Sunday. And and in the church calendar, that is always the final Sunday before the season of Lent is the Sunday when um, we can take advantage of the moment, if you will, to focus on the transfiguration of the Lord. And it kind of puts us in a place to then greater appreciate what he did in going to the cross for us and on our behalf. I'm going to be reading um, Matthew's account of the transfiguration. I'm in chapter 17, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. As I read, I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make you three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, Scripture is so wonderful, but it is also so varied. And you may or may not remember what I said on the first Sunday that I stood here. You may not have been here that day. And even if you were here that day and you don't remember, that's okay too. But one of the things that I said on that day is that I believe that all of Scripture, every bit of Scripture has something to say to us. I believe it truly does. And last week... Our scripture reading, we kind of, you know, hopscotched forward this week. Last, this week we were in 17, and last week we were in Matthew 6. And hearing from Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, and we heard that teaching of Jesus about anxiety. And that, I think, was a topic that was so real, so relatable, because most of us, to one extent or another, some people more than some others, but but most of us kind of know what it is to feel anxiety somewhere along the way. And so I think that was a really easy scripture for us to connect with. But then here we are, it's Transfiguration Sunday, and we have just heard this account from the history of Jesus' life, and it's so strange. It's so mysterious. And what is it that we're supposed to do with it? What does it mean for us? You know, I come to the scripture and, and I believe it with all of my heart. I think it really happened just as Matthew presents it. And I think that it was an incredibly important moment in the life of our Lord. But as I reflected on this, you know, I kept the question was like, what does this have to say to you and to me? Right here, right now, this place, this time, Georgetown, Kentucky, February of 2023. How do we handle this? Well, one of the things that I think can be helpful whenever we come to Scripture, and particularly to something like this, is to put ourselves into the story. Get your imagination juices going, and imagine yourself there on that mountain, hearing and seeing and experiencing everything that happened. If you were there, how would have you reacted? If you were there, how would you be thinking or feeling at that very moment and in that situation? And so what I want us to do for just a few moments here is pick Peter. He's kind of the one we hear from the most here. And try to put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Let's be Peter for a couple of minutes. And so we see that this passage starts with the words, after six days. So the question is, six days after what? Well, you have to go back and look at the previous chapter. And in the interest of time, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for us. But in the previous chapter, What we saw had happened six days before was that Jesus had asked that question of his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the one who was often the vocal leader of the group, had declared Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter did that, Jesus commended him for it. That was all good. But then it wasn't very long after Peter had made this declaration that Jesus also began to talk to his friends about his upcoming death at the hands of the religious authorities. And he did apparently say, yes, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. But Peter didn't like any of that talk about the death thing, and he wouldn't have it. And we're told in Scripture that, Peter had nerve enough to rebuke Jesus for even saying it. Well, but then when Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebuked Peter, and he rebuked him with that familiar phrase, get behind me, Satan. So that must have kind of stopped Peter in his tracks for a moment. And then Jesus didn't stop there. After he made that statement, Jesus had told the entire group that being his disciple meant a life of self-denial and taking up one's own cross and following him. And and so, boy, those were words that were not for the faint-hearted. They knew exactly what a cross looked like and what happened on it. So this is what had happened six days before. And Peter had a lot to process over those six days. And I have this feeling that even at the time they were climbing the mountain, Peter was still processing all of that. Who Jesus was and the stuff about the cross and the stuff about self-denial... And then this, Peter and James and John climbed this high mountain with Jesus, and then they saw his appearance change, and it changed right before their eyes. Scripture tells us that his face shone like the sun, and that his clothes were dazzling white, and added to all of that, which would have been startling enough, two other people appear. Moses and Elijah, and it was startling and amazing, you know, and then Peter starts kind of babbling on about building some sort of little tent or something, and, and I think it's no wonder that Peter babbled, I think he was so taken aback, you know, you just start talking without thinking what you're saying, who, who wouldn't babble at a moment like that? But what's really going on here? Well, what is going on here is that God, in his wonderful, gracious way, is letting Peter and James and John have a glimpse of the ultimate reality of who Jesus is. Jesus. The eternal one. You know, scripture says he's from, you know, the found, before the foundations of the world. And yet, the eternal one who took it upon himself to enter time and enter history. And he is Jesus. He's the glorious one, one with the Father, and yet had humbled himself to take on human form and live confined in a human body. And they were suddenly shown in this amazing way that this person, this Jesus, this friend, this one that they traveled with and ate with and talked with and laughed with was also the glorious Son of God. And yes, a few days before, Peter had declared Jesus to be the son of the living God. But but a lot of people, Jewish people, I mean, they would use that term, you know, for who they thought was going to be the Messiah. But I think they didn't really realize that that person was going to be absolute God. In human form. I think that they didn't really have a clue to what it meant. And now here, standing before Peter and James and John, is the absolute wonder of a glorified Jesus. This is Jesus who he really and absolutely is. And that was a whole lot for Peter to get his head around. And I pretty much think that Peter didn't really begin to get it, if you will, until after the resurrection, and then I think he probably started connecting all the dots. He did get them all connected because, you know, later on, Peter went on to to write a couple of letters to the early Christians, and then near the beginning of his second letter, he writes about this very day. And in that he says, we witnessed his majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the magnificent glory, saying, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. No doubt about it. But when this happened on that holy mountain, Peter and James and John were so impacted by what they saw that they fell to the ground. How could they do otherwise when they see Jesus, in all of his glory, even if it was just for a few moments. So that's them. That's Peter. But what about us who are in this place today, 2,000 years later? And we read this, we hear this, and yes, we believe that it really happened. But again, what is it that we're supposed to do with it? You know, I think one thing that it would be well for all of us to do and to do a whole lot more than we tend to do is to reflect on the reality of what I will call here in this message the spiritual dimension. There is a spiritual dimension. Now, you and I are embodied beings. You know, I have fingers, They can play the piano. I have ears that can hear beautiful music. I have a voice that speaks. I am thankful for this body that I get to live in. And being embodied is good and wonderful in the way that God created us. And because God created us with these bodies, what we do with our body matters. And bodies should be respected and not abused, whether they are our own or the bodies of another. And we're warned about sinning against our bodies. And Jesus himself humbled himself to become an embodied being. You know, and maybe one of these days I will preach a little bit more on why the physical body is important but we don't have time today that's a sermon for another day and another time today this day when we focus on the transfiguration is the day for us to be reminded and become more aware of this spiritual dimension if you will that Jesus was in before he came to live on earth in human form and that he inhabits now while he is away from us and he's going to come back someday and we're going to be with him there. But this spiritual dimension is there all of the time. We're just not always aware of it. You know, some people use the imagery, and it's not bad imagery, of of like a curtain that is, you know, strung between here and there that we can't really quite see through or touch through or whatever. And and the spiritual reality is right there on the other side of the curtain curtain it's present but it's not seen and I think because it's present and not seen that for many people it can be sort of an out of sight and out of mind thing but even if we don't see it it is still very much there When my father was dying of his terminal illness, my brother said to him, Daddy, when you get toward the end, tell us what you're experiencing. And he was so weak the last few days, but one of the very last things that he said, it was a day or so before he died, but one of the last things that came out of his mouth was, I am in another world. And I knew that was his answer to my brother's question. It was all he had strength to say. But it let us know. I was reminded again of the mystery of the spiritual dimension. It's always there. And on this day of the transfiguration... God allowed his glory and that spiritual dimension to break through in a special way. That happened there on that mountain in Galilee. And friends, I think it's that same spiritual dimension that has been breaking through a few miles down the road in Wilmore for the past week or so, and what is happening down there at Asbury University. And I haven't had the privilege to be there, but from what I can glean from what is happening there is just this wonderful awareness of the presence of God. And and people who are there talk about just this wonderful sense of peace. And boy, do we not need that in our world today. It's real. Again, I remember my daddy saying, the spiritual is actually more real than the physical. And we're plenty real. But the spiritual is just as real and perhaps more so. And we don't have to be in Wilmore or on the mountain of transfiguration to experience it. Unfortunately, sometimes the spiritual gets crowded out. And I am so thankful that God in his grace will allow his glory to again be revealed in a very definite and unmistakable way. There's a writer that I enjoy. His name is J.D. Walt. He writes a daily devotion called The Wake-Up Call, and I greatly recommend it, and you can Google it and find it out there. But he was writing about this transfiguration event, and I want to read what he said. It's a little lengthy, but try to stay with me. I'll try to make sense of what he's saying here. He talks about the transfiguration and he says, What we are, glim- we are glimpsing, the timelessness of eternity breaking in on the present time. On that mountain, we are seeing through the veil that separates heaven and earth and glimpsing the kingdom of God in all its glorious, indescribable essence bright shining as the sun, as the hymn has it. This is the glorious end of all of the sanctifying grace of God, which is itself only the beginning of the unfathomable reality of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." On that mountain we behold the life, everlasting in quality and quantity for which we have been made. The beloved community of all who have followed Jesus before us and who will come behind us together in the resplendent presence of the beloved God of all glory. This is the reality through the veil, this is not a distant reality that we hope in. It is the present reality that we hope from. The glorious presence of God is right here and right now. Yes, it's kind of behind that veil but it's very much there. But as we bring these thoughts, and it's a lot for us to wrap our head around. As I bring this to an end, there's one more thing that I think that we need to be mindful of as we consider this very amazing event in the life of Jesus. I think we people... All of us, me included, are far too often in danger of what I will call domesticating Jesus. We kind of get Jesus down to a level that we're comfortable with, not too different from ourselves. And yes, he was human, and you know he experienced emotions and pain, and we're told that we have a, a high priest who... Who knows all about how we feel, and that is also true. But I think we can get him so domesticated that sometimes we forget that he is also glorious, magnificent God. Sometimes I hear people talk about um, our God, and they'll say something to the effect of, particularly if they're at odds with somebody else about something, about some theological thing. Well, now, my God wouldn't do that. Or, well, my God would such and such. And I think, ooh, you do not own God. God will be who God will be. I mean, he said that from when he met up with Moses on that other mountain and said, I am who I am. It could also be, I will be who I will be. God decides who God is. And the transfiguration event reminds us that Jesus himself is, as the old creed puts it, very God of very God. And we forget that to our own detriment. So, this is the day to stop in awe and wonder that Jesus, with all of this glory, said, I'm going to confine myself to a very normal, average-seeming human being. I'm going to confine myself to a body that aches. I'm going to confine myself to the limitations of being human. And I think this is a wonderful way for us to come to the season of Lent when we see Jesus take that journey for our salvation. Because we are reminded today that this is God himself in human form. This is the great and glorious and eternal one who for your sake and my sake willingly took on great degradation and so my friends we need to listen to him